welcome to tonight's uh, podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed the theme song tonight, and because I clicked the wrong button, but that's okay. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I'd like to introduce everybody that's showed up early tonight. So obviously, there's me. Hi, uh, Rye guy's hiding in the corner with his mic off, but he'll be here. We have Dagger House joining us again. The long-awaited return, and last but definitely not least, our fantastic star guests, Lenny Strauss. I said that right, right? Hi guys. All right, good. <laughs> you got so, it. So, uh, we're going to start with uh, explaining who you are, what you do, and do your first initial pitch bit, so you can talk about whatever you want to talk about for the first little bit, and then we'll get into tonight's discussion. Well, I have nothing to pitch. I'm just here for fun. So, um, my name is Lainey Strauss. I am a uh, CEO and, and president of Lower Marion Productions. We do TV, film, and live events. Uh, I do a lot of development on story and produce projects. So, nothing here to pitch. I know it's surprising, right? I should have like a 50% off deal for something, right? Hey, you know, <laughs> we appreciate this so much more than the, the usual having to restrict someone on their topping pocket. Um, it sounds like, uh, as a note, because I've done a little bit of research over the last couple of days now to, to check out your fun stuff. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very much impressed with what you do. So, keep up the super hard work. You're killing it, right? Thanks. Um, so, um. Just as a, a question to familiarize people, what's some uh, projects you've been working on? Just just so people kind of have a reference point for you. Yeah, there's a, a film called Teacher of the Year, um, which I produced with Keegan-Michael Key. It's on Paramount Plus right now. It's on Amazon Prime, Google Play, um, pretty much almost every platform. It's on HBO Max, I think internationally, if there's anybody here from uh, overseas. And uh, I have a TV show called Eat with Gavin Rossdale that's going to launch. We're shooting some more episodes with Serena Williams and Will Ferrell coming up in September. That's a combo. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be amazing. It's a, it's a luxury interview uh, show. So we invite one of the celebs to Gavin Rossdale's house and he cooks him a three-course meal. And then they talk about life. So it's not about, again, it's not about pitching a project. It's about talking about what you've learned in life and and uh what you want to share with people about who you are so it's really fun uh and that's coming up i uh i launched the ellen fund with ellen degeneres and i worked with seth rogan to launch hilarity for charity uh for alzheimer's if you're familiar with that one and uh just finished the cameron boyce foundation gala i produced that and let's see what else uh, that's enough, right? You hit superstar status the second I'd have been there. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd take that back. Probably the first <laughs> item to be, to be realistic. But anyway, we're so glad you're here with us tonight, and we hope you have lots of fun. Um, so let's just jump right into our topic. So tonight's topic is Hit the Wizard, also a.k.a. Using Enemies with Tactics. Um, so I'm going to set up the, the kind of talking points. Uh, and then I'm going to ask questions and so on and so forth. And we're just going to go back and forth that way. Okay. And I'll try and call people out. So we're not talking over each other the entire time, especially because the two goofballs don't have <laughs> their cameras on currently, uh, but that's okay. So uh, in, we'll jump into D and D, but this can apply to any kind of TTRPG. Uh, when you are throwing waves of enemies at your players, um, they generally just kind of do dumb things. They just run straight at the nearest person. They attack them, they chop, chop, chop until they fall down or the hero falls down, right? That's that's the easiest way to play enemies, right? But that isn't very realistic. Um, so I'm going to start with the first question. Um, directly to Younger to start. Younger, uh, with your experience with your playings, what is another dumb tactic that you see other DMs, GMs use on their uh, enemies on the regular? 
a dumb tactic that the DMs in place on the enemies of the players. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something dumb that they make their enemies do. And this could be something that you do on purpose or something that you've seen others do and you're like, that's dumb. Don't do that. Um, so something, it, it's both a quote-unquote, can be like a dumb thing uh, or just and that's or just to not kill off the players and that's to not utilize the enemies that are in place on the board, whether they be humanoid enemies or monstrous enemies at their maximum capacity. Right. Like, uh, I think a perfect example of this is uh, kobolds are small, weak, easy, killable monsters, like little, little tiny gnomish sized dragon folk. And, uh, like, there's a whole dungeon setting that was basically like, oh, yeah, there's a layer of kobolds, except they're expert trap makers. And you can kill a party of level 15 characters pretty easily if you go through the dungeon and follow what that everything that's written out inside that module. Um, however, most players just, oh yeah, little weak CR one fourth kobolds. Uh, they all die. It was hardly a battle. <laughs> Fair. So uh, jumping over, jumping over to RJ. Uh, do you have anything to add to that? Other ideas where you've encountered dumb, dumb things as a player that DMs have done that have just either made you annoyed or easily uh, overcome, kind of thing? Well, so, so mostly the uh, probably uh, it kind of plays in what uh, what Mr. Hill just said, but uh, when uh, they don't use tactics, like when you have long range weapons and melee people, um, they don't like attack smartly with them, like. Uh, if you have a dozen guys and only three people, you don't surround them with the melee guys and then pepper them with arrows so that you can't get away. You just take the aerial yeah, attacks. Um, so just, just not utilizing the weapons that they have in the uh, a standard tactical use. That's probably the dumbest thing I've seen done to prolong battles or, or make the, the players um, win without really having to think about how they do anything. Okay, I mean that that's a good addition, and uh, obviously use what they got, kind of thing. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna jump over to Laney here. Uh, so in your storytelling bits, how do you encourage enemies to be scarier? How do you make the heroes' opponents that much more terrifying when you do your storytelling bits? It's always important that there is a motivation or reason why they are the way they are, and that. And and obviously they're scarier if they lack fear of death or they lack <laughs> because if if there's nothing you can take from them if there's nothing that if there's no punishment that's really going to cause harm um, then obviously that's a terrifying person if it's a person I mean obviously if it's if it's an alien or or a some other kind of uh, monster or whatever that's a different story but if there's a motivation as to why they are the way they are and you can heighten the stakes and uh, take away their fear of dying or fear of, of consequences, that makes a pretty scary individual. I can agree completely. Now, on the opposite end, so dumb, 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 dumb questions. Uh, Going to stick with you, Lainey. Uh, I guess this isn't the opposite, but this is more focused on the same question. In your storytelling bits and pieces, what would you consider <clears throat> a dumb enemy? Well, if I mean, we've all seen those movies or those projects where it's like, why? <laughs> you just have to go. I have no idea why these people or this this villain or this person is doing this. Like if it's not motivated action, if it's, um, 
they do things that don't really make sense in the terms of the universe. Um, you know, when it comes to creativity, I would never tell a writer that they can't create the universe they want. But it has to be, a, it has to have that through line that makes sense within that universe. I don't care if it's the Matrix or if it's a, you know, a sci-fi movie or a horror movie. If you have a conceit, just make sure you stick with that through the whole process, that it makes sense within the world you created. And that's a video game. That's a movie, anything. You can create a universe that has specific rules. But when people just kind of change the rules randomly just to make it easier for uh, you know, a character to survive or, or a villain to survive or, you know, it's that plot armor thing where they'll just, it, it's really obvious that there's no way that it would have worked that way, but they just make it so. That can be irritating as a viewer when you're like, oh, come on, it takes you out of the story. I mean, we can get, do a lot of buys if if it's, you know, one of those fun action movies. But at a certain point, if it's something really silly, it can be really just, it takes you out of the story and it makes it, it takes away your your belief in that world, that universe. Okay, so you touched on like five really important things that I was going to cover ahead of time, but you're you're on it. Uh, so first <laughs> first and foremost, you talked about uh, them having to have a reason or a motivation, right? Um, so smart enemies, right? They there is a reason, right? Even with dumb enemies, yeah. they can still have something simple like you are a prey item, right? Even for are creatures that don't them? have. Uh, high tier capabilities of like communication and whatnot. They're just scary beasts that are hunting you down. If you are prey, right. Look, if they're it. wild animals and they're hungry and you're food, then that's a motivation. That's Exa a biological motivation. Exactly. Yes. So applying that to something that's smarter, something that does have a brain, something that does have conversation, goes into making the enemy smarter because uh, the key word for fighting and success is work smarter, not harder. Without a weapon. No, just kidding. It's, it's <laughs> Um, but, uh, the biggest one that goes into this one is traps, right? Smart enemies will build traps. And again, we go back to even creatures that aren't necessarily commutative, uh, can be smart enough to build a trap. Um, spiders do it all the time. And, you know, I, I wouldn't hand a spider a math book and expect it to finish it. Um, but they're very smart in what they do. So it's like every creature has sort of their wheelhouse, right? And it's also, um, you know, do they, can they anticipate the other side? Can they anticipate the next moves of their enemy? Exactly. Right. So we go into uh, our first improvement that we can talk about as a, a making enemies smarter, right? Uh, is play to their strengths. So Younger kind of talked about this a little bit earlier too. And so did Daggerhouse with the, the uh, following the, the, Younger talked about following the modules, right? Because a lot of times in the stories, they'll have you fight a group and there'll be one or two survivors that get away to go to the next area and, boom, bang, bing, there's some kind of ambush, surprise, trap. Uh, and lots of DMs just kind of ignore that and start it as a new battle. Not, those are the same things you just fought 10 minutes ago that you've been chasing or something along those lines, right? Um, so, and then we go into RJ's not using of their uh, equipment appropriately, right? If they all have slings or bows or whatever and they're running up and trying to punch you, doesn't make a lot of sense. That can be applied to our <laughs> spider situation as well, right? Um, so next, next question, um, I'm going to flip it around a little bit cause, uh, we can, what is a smart enemy? If you saw an enemy that was, uh, done well, younger, how would you describe this enemy or have you seen in the past? What's a, give me an example of a good enemy that you've seen before on the table. Good enemy that I've seen before, uh, that I often see misrepresented as well is that of dragons. Who do tell dragons, likes dragons are dragons are highly intelligent creatures in the D and D universe. 
much smarter than the average person and or player. Yet almost <laughs> every dungeon master that I've happened to come across will have that dragon land and get smited by a paladin because it landed on the ground. Give me a good reason why a dragon should land on the ground. Nah, it should just roll up in there like Smog does in Lord of the Rings and just burn down the city. Like, no, you don't get a chance. If you want to fight me on, like, the ground, you have to find me when I'm asleep in my lane. Like, I am never going to fight you fair. I'm just going to burn down your village in your town, take all of your money, eat all of your animals, and there's nothing you can do about it because I can fly 300 feet in the air and you can't touch me. And if you do, I have legendary resistances. And then I'll just spray fire down upon you and, like, party kill your party right off the bat because you didn't want to pay tribute. Sounds like you're very excited about the dragons. Daggerhouse, do you have any good examples of smart enemies that you've encountered in your playthroughs? Sure. Um, you know, like you get a sheriff that's the bad guy in town, uh, or the or the or the op force, and you know he's got the law that he manipulates in his advantage. He has minions, deputies, and our foot soldiers, um, and then he's got people that will tell him things to stay on his good side. So he has all these things that he uses, and this can be D and D, Star Wars, anything. But generally, any anybody that's like the sheriff has has the all these advantages that they use to maintain their power base you know and my favorite one was the guy that didn't trust elephants and could see him in trees that's a that's a good character we're not going to talk about that though um <laughs> Vasu Vasu is the best elephant and that's all i'm going to say only only about four people in the entire world are going to get that joke um so, Lady, what about you and your experiences? Have you ever had a villain or an enemy that you've just, like, read through or pitched to someone or anything like that that have just been like, this is a super smart mofo, and the things that they do did make sense like you were talking about? Well, I, you know, that's not really the kind of movies I've been making lately, but, um, you know, things like with Game of Thrones, for example, like when you have characters that you know, are very smart and devious, like Cersei or like Daenerys, who, you know, have varying degrees where there might be points where you root for them. And then because of things that have happened to them or that they're protecting themselves or their kingdom, they have to fight and be really thoughtful and devious. So, you know, I like I like characters where they're not a hundred percent evil because there's a, a purpose and a reason that goes back to the motivation. But it sometimes if if a character is trying to save the life of somebody, so they have to do certain things to get this, uh, whether it's you know medicinal or something, they have they have a real motivation that drives them. Or somebody like even in the Joker, where the Joker movie that they did with Joaquin Phoenix, where you know origin stories when you see what happens to create a villain, I find that really interesting in terms of character development. And to how did that how did that character become where oh, they hey, are? Because most oh, most children aren't born evil, uh, <laughs> right? Most of them aren't born evil. So it's like, what happens to them where they develop that sense of of that they need to um, protect themselves or or protect their home or their lair or whatever it is in the story? Like, why are they why are they the way they are? And those are usually the smarter characters. Okay, so that leads us into our next bit perfectly. Thank you for the segue. Uh, and talking I'm about, here to serve. you're doing great. <laughs> you're doing all my hard work without me having to ask questions. I love it. Um, so 
with that, uh, we talk about giving your players the motivation or characters. You, as a dungeon master, game master, player, should search for the reasons why the enemies are doing things. Because not only will it allow your DM or GM to lore dump on you and give you cool stories, it'll also give your players an understanding of who they're fighting and why they're fighting them. Um, because not all bad guys are evil. Um, there's a, a meme from uh, Wreck-It Ralph, right? The uh, Zen Geef, you might be bad guy, but you're not bad guy kind of thing, right? Um, yeah. And in a lot of cases, good bad guys are that scenario where they have a reason for what they're doing that is noble in intention, but the way they go about it isn't necessarily societally okay. Um, and you can do that on a small scale. Like uh, we go back to using orcs because in D&D, orcs are a... Uh, a standard race that you can play as and run around with and yada, yada, but they get used to bad guys a lot. Um, but having them, the reason for their expansion is, you know, their home is somewhere that was completely destroyed and they're just getting resources or things like that. And instead of going through trade, they go through combat because that's way easier to take what you want than to trade for what you want when you don't have anything to trade. Um, so adding some kind of simple layer to, to things like that, uh, go to Cobalt. Cobalts are a fantastic one uh, where they're being forced to fight you right there's a big bag dragon we talked about dragons uh and they're just the dragons minions doing doing whatever evil bits they need to take care of to uh get gold for said dragon um your players find that out they might try and free the cobalts right you switch a bad guy to a good guy uh and so on and so forth it also allows for dumber characters that are low intelligence uh styled stuff to have higher tier tactics because they might be controlled by someone who is much smarter than they are. We go back to dragons because dragons are uh, very smart creatures in D&D, but there's plenty of other ones in the other RPGs uh, that are played. Uh, I would go to Blades in the Dark and you could have a spider doing the thing. Spiders are a class in that system. Um, but anyway, having someone who is that class or area that is controlling people from above might be a good reason why in the middle of combat where you guys have been slapping them left and right because they've been running at you with spears switch to you can't get close to them because they're arching firing arching firing every single round and keeping out of your distance uh because big back mcgee in the back has directed them differently to adapt to your player's combat um so with that uh we're gonna ask the question of what are some cool additions or tactics that you would throw on a, a on a group? We kind of talked about traps, and I just gave one where the the moving moving the trenches more or less. Uh, what are some other ones that you guys have used or played with? I'm going to start with Dagger House. Um, so like when you know their motivations, when they're looking for resources or riches or something they lack, you show it to them, and then you defend it. You basically trap them with their desire. Who looks shiny? You want the shiny? Oh, you're going to get the mace. You're going to get the sword, the battle axe upside the head. Uh, basically, now, the, the, look, at the, look, at the, look at the goal, but wacky whack. Okay, so just a clarification. Are you talking as a player trying to draw out enemies or enemies drawing out players? Uh, as a player drawing out enemies. Okay, so you're, if, you're doing... If, if, you can under, if you can understand their motivations, you can use what motivates them against them. If uh, they just want to protect their family, go capture their family. They're going to come at you. And they're going to take risks to take get their family back, and you can destroy them. Devious. Well, that's what the bad guy can do to you. I was going to say, you better have a, a group of chaotic neutral characters for that one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what about you, Rye Guy? What's a, what's a tech that, you, that you've either used or seen people use for enemies that was like, well, that was cool? Um. So something that I've personally done as a DM that I thought was really cool um, 
which led to some interesting role play was I had the bad guy uh, be, I guess you could say like the proprietor um, for the, the characters themselves. And so the characters were going and doing stuff for this guy originally because, oh, he was introduced in the campaign and, oh, they gained quote-unquote favor with him, so on and so forth. And then he just had them doing more and more jobs and then didn't necessarily tell them all of the specifics as to like, oh, yeah, we like these are some bad guys. Even if those people weren't necessarily bad guys, they had to be taken care of. But he's not going to say, oh, yeah, they're those are the good guys. You're generally not the bad guy in your own story, right? And then watching it develop over time, you know, and then the characters being like, wait, are we on the wrong side of history after it's like you guys have been playing the campaign for three plus months? <laughs> never, never happened. That, that didn't happen. We're not going to talk about it. Um, so, uh, jumping to Mr. Strauss here, do you have any, any other, uh, what would you think would be a cool tactic that people could use uh, in... Well, I just thought it was <clears throat> really interesting. We were talking about motivation and he was just mentioning if you know someone's motivation, you can go after their family <clears throat> and then they have to, you know, go after you to protect the family. So are you flip-flopping now to be the bad guy if you start doing those tactics um, and, and abduct someone's family? Then, I mean, that wouldn't be a good guy thing to do, right? So it's an interesting question about... Do do does that is that a continuum or do people switch places when you start to protect yourself by doing something mm, uh, to attack the enemy? morality? <laughs> so I, I think that's one of the neat things about TTRPGs in general is you don't have to be the good guys. Um, like there's no set you have to be the uh, the very the hero. Yeah, you could be a hero but still be a bad guy, right? There are plenty of heroes that are complete d bags. But they get the job done and defend <laughs> defend the most people, right? They're still doing the greater yeah. good, but they're bad guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is doing something bad in the name of getting some, you know, doing good. It's always that kind of that line, right? Right. And it's something that's great to explore in these games. You know what I mean? Uh, from a personal narrative to a, yeah. a larger one. But that that's what makes it more interesting when you're talking about good guys and bad guys when they can kind of cross those lines depending on the circumstance. It makes it a lot more interesting. I I 100% agree. Now to kind of to kind of go back on something because uh, a major book that was done a long time ago that needs to be mentioned if we're going to be talking about this is a thing a book called The Monsters Know What They're Doing, uh, and it was specifically built for D and D characters, uh, specifically 5e. Um, I think the other one they had was uh, oh, so there's there's two of them or three of them, and the first one is The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Uh, and the other ones are variations of the word monster that still apply to D&D and, you know, cover more people and things. Um, and it goes over the tactics and whatnot. Uh, it's a really good book. I just want to shout it out really quick because I thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, what's the name of that sort of thing? It's it's literally straight up easy peasy to remember. Um, but on that note, uh, is there any literature that you would suggest for people to, like, check out or be like, hey, look at this. This is something that you should read if you're trying to develop these skills for making the bad guys more... Uh, What's the right word? Uh, Formidable? No, more more of a person instead of just a number. 
Are you asking me? Yes, I'm not asking you. Are sorry. You sorry, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll ask the um, other two in a second. We'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a fan of tons of literature, but there's there's um, I mean, if you're sp speaking specifically about these kind of worlds, obviously that George R. R. Martin stuff and and the Game of Thrones things, I think. You know, even more so in the books, um, they have a lot more depth and you can go into a lot more information. I think obviously the shows were well done overall, but um, and the acting was very good. But in terms of with any book, whether it's Godfather or any of those books, when you actually read the books, there's so much more depth into the thoughts that go through and the motivations and understanding why these characters are the way they are and the struggles that they're having internally, which you can't show in a movie. Um, so those kind of things are always really interesting. So if you don't, you're not intimidated by the size of the book, <laughs> those are really, you know, those are great books to understand sort of antiheroes and, um, you know, all these different kind of hero slash villains who, you know, some start off as nicer and develop into a villain over time, but it gives you a lot of those different types of dynamics between families and fighting factions and all that kind of stuff i mean those in terms of this type of storytelling um i think those are good books to read gotcha so just as a as opinion for you before i ask these other guys how do you do those internal monologues if you wanted to show that either in a show or in our case at the table what is a good way to indicate that like this is what they're thinking uh now with the show i could think of like the the screen fades to black and they just talk kind of like you do in like a theater play uh, but is there other ways that you could do that well, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be, you know, I don't like things that are too on the nose or too, I find a lot of narratives uh, lazy um, because it's like, instead of really showing it, you're just telling them. And, and sometimes they can be done well and they can be really helpful um, when necessary. But I prefer kind of interesting dialogue between people but then some of it can be done with looks i mean that that's why the acting is so important um because so much of storytelling is showing and not telling <laughs> so it's really important that i mean sometimes a, just a sheer look uh if, if the acting is done right you know the way they look at the other character you know instantly do, i hate you i love you I'm, I'm, you know, confused. I'm not sure what to do here. I mean, there's so much that can be done with looks and just really pare down dialogue, but that, I mean, you can do dialogue that says, hello, hello. And the way you say hello can tell you a hundred different things. So a lot of it's in the, that's the difference between really good writing and really like hacky writing is when, you know, everything's kind of spoon fed and told to the audience, like, I'm really mad at you right now, as opposed to someone coming in and just like, ah, you know, and they, it's like, you got it. They're angry. You don't need to belabor the point. You can actually, you know, have that dialogue in, in a way that moves the story along rather than explaining. And I think that's really important to me when I'm looking at the writing from a development perspective is how are you driving the story forward? Your job is not to explain each feeling. It's to tell a story visually. Right, right, right. right. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's that's a great explanation. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pair that too before I get back to these guys. Uh, this is why talking in character is so important because you can have those moments where your hello, hello is different or changed in character, right? Uh, it is the advantage yeah. of acting in character at the table. So your other players can understand where your 
character is at without the you explaining it to him like you're some kind of robot or reading the script or something along those lines. Um, so just yeah. just as a side note, that's why it's important. Jumping back to our previous question for you guys, uh, Derek House, Raigai, which which one wants to answer first? I'm with answering first, but I need a re uh, how dare a restatement. How dare you, sir? <laughs> Pay attention. God. Um, no, so the question beforehand was, uh, how do you, uh, I lost it now, dang it. Uh, how do you, what, what kind of books have you read? Thank the you. Books you. The read. books. We're talking about books. Uh, what you. books have I read? Yeah, yeah not what books well, have you read, but what literature would you recommend to kind of get better at making bad guys more relatable, relatable or fluid or filled out or however you want to say it? Okay, well. I really enjoyed the Tunnels series um, because it kind of goes on to the perspective of, like, there's an underground civilization underneath London uh, that is basically, like, completely separate um, from the topsoilers and what they do, so on and so forth, and they have their own independent struggles and uh, problems that they have to succumb to and their societal norms and everything else. Um, and so it kind of provides a, a different, I guess, really any book that provides like that, uh, external factor of like a, a cultural difference, you know, and, uh, somebody going into whatever that new world is or that new town, um, helps not only quote unquote, like world build, but also provides opportunities for the players or, uh, the, you know, the person reading the book to expand upon like what they're used to. I can I, I agree. All right, Dagger House, since you were so kind as to remind us to the question, would you be so kind as to answer it? I, I actually had three good examples, and listening to Younger made me forget my third one. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the first two um, really are um, just like straight tactics, like the Art of War or the Five Rings. Um, kind of like why are you fighting? Why are they fighting? Your objective isn't always about your objective. It's about why things are going on. So those are two good books that are, they're tactics related, but they're also motivationally related and they're great literature. They talk about a lot of things. And then uh, my third example, I'm trying to think of what it was, but uh, <laughs> It was it was good. Uh, so the um the 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 Dungeons and Dragons books with this Jordan and the dwarf and the the, the barbarian and the girl and the halfling. Um, all those people are good and bad. They've done horrific things. They've done good things, um, and they've encountered. Good, good and bad people and, and monsters, and most of them think that like goblins and orcs are evil and born that way, and they can never be redeemed. Yet, since Dritz was a drow elf, considered born evil, but he's really not in his heart evil. Um, he doesn't believe that those other things were born evil. He believes their situation caused them to be evil. But I mean, part of the end of the series is all about him trying to get his friends to realize and his and his love interest to realize. 
they're just quote unquote people, not necessarily humans, but people just like we are. And they're struggling through this universe the best that they can. And so the, his friends just want to destroy them. He wants to contain them. And it's, it's a different way of looking at the problem to have a solution that everybody wins with, not just my side wins. I think they're excellent books. So uh, I'm not going to comment too much on them. I am going to throw out Dragon Riders of Pern, though, because it gives a, another scenario uh, where the bad guys are the people of the past, someone you can't fight, um, but their motivations and uh, remnants of what they did are still there. Uh, now, obviously, in the books, spoiler alert, there is some time-traveling nonsense that goes on, uh, but not enough to fix things uh, for the long tier. They do fix things a little bit, but, uh, yeah, again, I ain't going to spoil too much for it. Uh, but the, the bad guys aren't ever there. So the most of the stories are the, the characters versus uh, nature instead of uh, enemies, strong lines, all that kind of stuff, because everyone on the planet's just trying to survive kind of thing. Uh, depending on the book, there's a whole bunch of books, uh, but specifically the first three, uh, you get a lot of man versus nature, and then you realize it's man versus man who died a million years ago. Uh, and it's a it's a really good series because you get that uh, information, the lore, whatever you want to call it, and it gives a reason for why the bad things are happening. Uh, and I think that could be applied just as easily to uh, the characters on the board that you're playing with. All right, so. Talked about literature. We've talked about fun tactics. We've talked about what we think are dumb enemies, what we think are smart enemies. Um, now let's talk about the hero side of things, right? How do you deal with or improve upon uh, this actual player bit of asking your DM GM players to act better at the table to have more fun with these situations? Because sometimes, when as a GM or DM you step forward and start using tactics, your players are very hesitant to continue playing. Uh, because they're afraid of every rock in every corner because that one time they got attacked by a mimic and they weren't ready for it. Um, so, how do you guys deal with making sure your players are eased into smart enemies? Um, I'm going to start with my example this time. Uh, and generally, I base it on their level. In the first five levels, I don't use any tactics for any of the enemies. The enemies are dumb. They're going to be dumb. Five levels and you're pretty much safe in my campaigns. Unless we are specifically playing a campaign where you are probably going to die. Um, but for D&D specifically, um, and lots of other TTRPGs, the first five levels or the first quarter of your character's progression is dumb enemies, right? And then we hit levels 10, up to level 10, which is where you've got some powers, you're doing some things. We start throwing one or two smart enemies, maybe a commander or something like that. Uh, then we go in the 15s or 10s to 15s, and those are you're dealing with a lot of smart enemies. Uh, but singles, onesies and twosies that are just smart in dealing with things. And then at the last, when you're a high tier super level, you're dealing with nations full of smart people that know what they're doing and will counter the things you do and so on and so forth. Uh, at least that's how I run it, or generally. Again, it depends on every story that's told, but that's that's whatever. Um, so I'm going to start with Ryguy. Ryguy, uh, what, what's your kind of system that you use for easing your players into smart enemies? Or do you just throw I'm going to be I, I tell them I tell them off the bat, I'm like, listen, the world is full of good guys, it's full of bad guys, it's full of people much stronger than you. It's like I will I will give you hints as to maybe you should 
not look for a violent way to go about this. Or maybe you should run away. Not by directly saying it, but um, if you're level three and then uh, you find out that you are near the entrance of a Black Dragon's cave uh, via your nature and perception checks, you know, or maybe your uh, your bloodline, the lineage, one of your characters is a dragonborn, and so they are more susceptible, you know, to being able to uh, find out if there's a draconic presence nearby. You know, like, give them little hints without necessarily directly uh, just giving it away in its entirety. Young, or... Younger, younger, all you have to do at that moment when they're in front of the cave or whatever is just play the sound effect. Run. <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, something else I also like to do in more of a narrative standpoint is um, there could have been somebody who was like their big brother, essentially, throughout the campaign, or, you know, maybe a, a local hero that they had heard about, you know, through rumors in town, so on and so forth, and just completely decimate it. Just completely annihilate whatever was there, um, whether it be, you know, another hero or somebody that they know is of higher strength or a building um, doesn't have to necessarily be somebody and just show the overwhelming force and power. And then maybe they'll be like, maybe I shouldn't punch that. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't punch that. A great, a great line to be, to be tossed out there, uh, especially as a DM. Uh, that's, that's a good way to, to tell you. Can players. I make a t-shirt with that? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Right. Only if you send me the t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, he wears an extra small. Yeah, right? Just <laughs> toddler size. Maybe I shouldn't bunch that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I need, I need a couple of those. Um, so uh, we're going to skip order a little bit. And Miss Strauss, uh, what about you? What, what are your feelings on this? Uh, how would you uh, integrate smarter enemies into your stories or would you do the opposite no 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 this is just like how would you integrate it into your stories how do you progressively show that they're either they're dumb at the start and smart at the beginning or are you like younger where they're smart the entire time and good luck well i mean i think it depends on if there's like one enemy like one one real villain or if it's like a team because you know when you look at any of say like the marvel movies or um, any of the, you know, any of the better movies where it's like an action film or something like that, there's usually the leader and then they have their sort of minions and you kind of deal with the minions who are generally easy to beat for, you know, whether it's James Bond or whether it's, you know, a superhero, whatever it is, they're usually kind of just a line of defense to get to the leader. Uh, the leader sends out the minions to do the to do all the, the dirty work. And then eventually you get to the villain, even like a movie like Die Hard. Um, you know, you'll have all the all the other guys and then you you get to the leader of the leader of the group eventually. So it just depends if it's kind of a group or if it's more like there's the one villain who's consistent throughout the entire story. Um but typically, you know, you'll have to have somebody helping the lead villain. So um, I think that's probably just standard in a lot of these films that you have kind of the easier and then it gets harder as you get closer to the leader because the leader is supposed to be the smartest one, <laughs> right? I mean, that's it's kind of like uh, nesting dolls, right? They have the, the one in the middle and then, you know, you get through all the layers. Um, 
But I mean, if a story's well told, even if it's a standard kind of format, if and if it's a trope that people are used to, um, whether it's a, a you know, you can see a rom com like When Harry Met Sally, and then you'll see others that are junk. If you you know, you'll see a action movie that's not well done, and you'll see another one that's really well done, and they might have the same trope, but it's all about execution. It's how you know it all how you how all of that is executed. Okay. You know, whether it's the so acting, the storytelling. Gotcha. So you're saying it's on the execution, but it sounds like the tactic you would do if you were telling the story is start off with the, the wimpy, wimpy yahoos and progressively get stronger as the story goes on. I mean, I personally would like to make it more interesting. Those are that's just typically the trope. But, um, well, okay. you know, I you like more psychological things. I like more things where they're not as obvious. I like having kind of surprises and layers in my characters. That's what I prefer because I like to keep the audience guessing. I don't I, I don't really I haven't really been into the kind of standard trope where it's like every single thing is obvious because I, I like to do things that have a little bit of a surprise for the audience. I completely agree. Uh, going over to Dagger House, what about you? What's your system of, of uh, enemy tactics? Is it something you focus on or deal with when you are uh, playing? So, so whenever you're setting up the adventure, whether, it, whether it's a module from uh, Dungeons & Dragons or it's a homebrew, um, everybody has limitations and capacity, right? Minions aren't very smart or not very powerful, um, etc. So if you let them be aware of the uh, visually what their limitations are, the guy has a bow and arrow. Um, the guy's got a spear. The guy's got a two-handed great axe that looks like it gets sliced through stone. You're visually, you're going, okay, maybe that guy's limitations are higher than say the guy with a, with a stone spear. Okay. Um, capacity. Uh, what does a person look like they can do? Is he skinny? Is he strong? Does, does he have capacity for great strength? Does he have capacity for great cruelty because of what kind of character or, or um, race he is? And for, for players to understand that they're brave and strong and ferocious and, and true and all of that, they know about themselves. But if you can portray the enemy as having the same features or the same um, characteristics, uh, you can have drama build and happen along with the action. There's you, you not necessarily have to have the emotion, but the, the, uh, the sense of someone's capacity or limits by, by how you portray them visually or, or what their actions are. Like you said, uh, uh, it, it doesn't have to be always the most obvious thing. Uh, two kids wrestling. One kid has a lot of experience. One kid doesn't have very much experience. One kid teases the other kids. Uh, by the third round, he's up 13 to three. The kid looks at his coach. His coach said, you got one move. You got to hit a boy. He hits his move, pins the guy and wins. Right? Both people had capacity for sports uh, and they had limitations. But because one kid, you, you, you kind of put the pressure, he's losing. The guy's laughing at him and he brings it with everything he has. Bad guys can do that and will surprise you guys can do that and surprise you so the making the the characters uh have that depth without saying they have that depth is a way to let character people understand that the limitations of that certain level of group minions 
under bosses, the big bosses. Uh, you know, the, the big boss, his story might be well more well known than his underling, but you know their limitations and capacities by how you describe them. Gotcha. So your your explanation or the way you do it is through visual narrative uh, integration. Uh, basically, you take qualities from the players and mimic them in the enemies if they have similar things. So the players easily understand uh, what they're dealing with, or at least can compare it to themselves or, and see where they're at kind of thing. Or, or, or that just people in general understand. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Big, big guys aren't always dumb or stoic. Right, they can be uh, angry, or they can be full. You know, fat guys laugh a lot. Whatever the stereotype you want to throw on there, and you can switch that around to show that they have a different capacity than the stereotypical. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, I think. Can that's I good. actually? Can you? Can you do it? Sorry, you kind of broke up there. And so, you're, you're being a robot. Come back. Can you hear? Nope, still in the tunnel. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna you're gonna you need to hang up and call back. I think your signal's down there, buddy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but if you can hear me, yeah, you I just sound like you're in a stuff. tunnel. I don't think I can say that. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but camp, ran a camp where I read bad guys essentially, like you know. Bad guy comes back. So on and so The good guys are chasing. Yeah, younger, younger. You're gonna need to disconnect and reconnect because we we're getting about every third word here. All right. Anyway, well, he comes back. Miss Strauss, do you have something to add? Um. Well, I mean, I I personally I like I like what uh when he was referring to not to expect the obvious because uh you know you get humor and you also get some kind of uh interest when you do the opposite of what's expected like sometimes you see this really big strong guy and it turns out he's terrified or um you know you have those moments like in indiana jones where the guy's doing his whole big sword play and he just turns around and shoots him it's like those are moments for you know for fun and and you know you have people who look intimidating and and are have that like they look like they're super scary. And then, you know, if the hero or another character can just take care of them instantly. Um, but I've seen it even in real life, you know, in karate or things like that in martial arts, you could have this small skinny person who could take down the biggest guy in the world um, because he has the ability and the skill. Uh, not everything's about size and appearance. Sometimes people just have the skill. I mean, look at Jackie Chan and there's people like that who are, who are very skilled in martial arts and can do serious damage. Um, because of what they know how to do. So, as a side note, fall, fall back to your Indiana Jones comment. Uh, do you know the story behind that scene? Uh, you know what? I think I heard it a long time ago, but if I don't remember the details. So, uh, they were, there was going to be this big, intricate fight, yada, 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 but Harrison Ford had diarrhea that week, or dysentery, or something along those lines, and so he pitched, can I just shoot him with my gun? And they're like, yeah, why not? Well, I'm glad they let him do it for whatever reason. Yeah, because it was awesome. I mean, it's a moment that you remember. And those are the those are the kind of surprises that I talk about. It's like, 
you know, there's the easy thing where he could have gotten into a fist fight with him and wrestled and everything like that. But that's an iconic moment that you remember after the movie. So, um, you know, having those moments in your games uh, will make it more entertaining, I think, if you have... You know, like those moments where somebody like the size of the rock, if he's standing there and he's all muscly and a little mouse runs by and he goes, ah! <laughs> you know, and you're not anticipating it. Those kind of moments are fun. And, and you know, you can add some brevity and some some fun things, uh, some levity and some fun things to your story. Um, and it doesn't have to be a comedy to do that. It could it's just fun. And, you know, that's why some of these superhero movies have have done really well with it, like Thor adding humor and adding things to that. I think it makes it more entertaining. And it's a surprise because you're not in, you're not expecting it. Yeah. On this note, I kind of want to dive down this rabbit hole really quick and ask the other two yahoos if they have any good examples. I have one that I have to share, though. That uh, was probably one of my funniest ones from one of my really early campaigns. Uh, we were fighting on a boat. Uh, in the middle of the ocean, the character had magical abilities, could shoot lightning. He called down some lightning on some enemies in the water while his friends were in there too. So everyone got liquefied all at the exact same time. Uh, and the players who were with them didn't expect it. And it was uh, hilarious. And we uh, avoid water at all costs while traveling with that character now. Um, what about you two? Younger? Uh, Dagger? You guys got any good stories to, to share before we move on? Stories, comedic stories. Um, well, just just the the high tier unexpected that played out well. You know what I mean? That is memorable. Just memorable events events that you can think of. High tier unexpected. I should have expected it, but I didn't. And that was one of the characters that was in my group uh, had a what was a dragonborn. So they they had the ability to breathe fire, and one of our other players was stuck in the net and then there was a spider on top of him a giant spider and he was like i breathe fire on the spider i'm like your friend's there he's like yeah i'm like oh no and then he burnt his friend to a crisp that's teaching players consequences to their actions it's a wonderful thing to do especially early on digger house what about you um i was playing this uh uh, elvish woman she was a sorceress uh she was uh her heritage was dragon and so uh she was very um charismatic and and uh uh she was like lawful neutral she didn't like shady characters and we ran across a shady character and uh he kind of rubbed her the wrong way so as she walked out the door she kind of dropped a fireball back in the room well Killed the guy, burned the city hall down, and made the whole town mad, which made him attack the heroes. And uh, they ended up killing everybody in the whole town. Well, villain, and, a villain arc began. Got it. <laughs> they, to clarify, they killed all the guards. Oh, well, yeah. yeah. But um, on, on a good note, on my portion, uh, that character actually ended up surviving. And then the other character ended up having to pay his medical bills through a court hearing. So that was the more comedic portion. That's that's a that's the twist. Court cases at D and D. You never know what's coming. Uh, back to the, the the story that RJ is relaying. So after they finish killing all these guards, they go off on their adventure and run away, right? Because they don't want to hurt any of the civilians. Well, unfortunately for them, they left the town without guardsmen, 
uh, and a large group of bandits came through and raided the town, and that's when all the people died, because they pillaged and destroyed everything, because the heroes took out all the guards defending themselves, and the consequences of their action was an entire town was wiped off the map. But real estate was cheap in the area. <laughs> it still hasn't Terrible. recovered. <laughs> um, we're two generations later, and Way is still a smoking pile of rubble. Um, which is really sad, because that was just a stupid, funny town. Um, that story aside, uh, kind of jumping into last minute thoughts here as we're kind of getting to our wrap up point because we're about at an hour. Um, I'm going to go to our star guest here and give you a little bit to talk about yourself or final thoughts or ideas or anything you have on either the topic or whatever else, uh, and let it rip. Well, uh, just in terms of story, uh, you know, whether you're talking about villains or heroes, um, making sure that each character has a purpose and is driving a story uh, along because there's a lot of projects out there where there's just extraneous things that happen and it's not really necessary to make the story better. So I kind of look for that when I'm working on development to improve, you know, any kind of story. It's, it's really about, is this scene really add value to it? Because sometimes people just fall in love with an idea and they put it in because they like the idea, but it may not be adding anything to the story. Um, but in terms of me, if you want to reach out to me, you can reach me at laneystrauss.com. Um, there's a contact page there if anyone wants to keep in touch. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> younger? Dagger? I was going to say, don't don't leave yet. We got we to gotta talk to you afterwards. Wahaha. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, in regards to the topic at hand, um, I think we kind of hit on this point multiple times, but... Um, <laughs> I think having uh, diverse and uh, like NP like enemies can be NPCs too. Like enemies don't have to just be, you know, like oh it's the monster because it's bad. Like maybe it was a Beauty and the Beast scenario. <laughs> it's just like you know, like just a misunderstood creature. Um, yeah, sometimes it's about the motivation and what they're trying to do and and what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And, why they and you know, but in, and it's okay that sometimes, you know, maybe just being the evil lich that wants to, you know, take over the world and fill it with undeath, like that, that might be that one particular one. And it's okay to have that simple, uh, but you can then further give it di like extended personality, you know, like maybe it was charismatic, maybe it was stoic. You can add those separate elements that give it a level of humanity to it, even if it is no longer human. Um, they still have, like you said, they still have those motivations and drives and so on and so forth. And that's, uh, they have their wants and needs and they have their obstacles that they're doing and they have the descriptions of uh, what makes them the way they are. All right. Dagger house, final thoughts. Um, I think that really one of the things that really stood out for me tonight was the uh, you're never a bad guy in your own story, right? Everybody's motivations from their side look good. Uh, you know, the Taliban don't think they're bad people. Um, Hitler thought he was good helping his country. Uh, the guys that stormed the beaches in Normandy thought, you know, they were they were doing a good thing because that's what their their leadership told them. Um, so everybody on their side always thinks they're doing the good thing. Um, uh, and sometimes great evil is done in the process of making sure that the quote-unquote good guys win. 
Uh, and so the motivation of players uh, sometimes is very shallow. They want gold. They want potions. They want a piece of weaponry. Um, it's really not a big picture kind of thing. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be fun or a good adventure. But just if your venture is for small things, uh, your enemy should be for small things too. They, you don't want to have uh, someone being a freedom fighter when you really just are trying to steal the uh, necklace of Aragoth kind of thing. Okay, so having it's, com- it's, it's not fair. I mean, because they're more they're more willing to do whatever they got to do to achieve this great thing. Whereas if you don't get the necklace, you're gonna go find the axe that you need. It's not that important to you. So the 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 scope of the the scope of the adventures needs to be on par with how bad the enemies or, or what they're willing to do, what their motivations are. Okay, I, I think that's a that's a, a fair point. Um, a good good final thought. Um, but simply put, for your enemies in your next games, uh, make sure they use traps. Give them motivations. Give them lore in the backstory that your players can either find through narrative action or, if you really got to, lore dump them. Um, so you can get the internal perspectives and things like that for your enemies, right? Make them more flourished, more filled out, more fluid. Uh, and you will see an improvement in your games. Um, with all that said, I guess phone's blowing up over here. Uh, yeah, my bad. It's all good. Again, thank you so You're much, right. Mr. Strauss, for uh, coming tonight. Uh, and we're going to wrap things Thanks, up. Thanks, guys. Here. Get ready for the last bit of music. This time, I'm going to push the right button, I swear. <laughs> I really love the other one. <laughs> I, you know, I'll, I'll do it again. I don't care. Cool. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was strange. <laughs>